Have you ever felt like giving up, quitting, throwing in the towel? Welcome to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. She's an author, health coach, and motivational speaker. Backed into a corner multiple times in her life, Carol shares with you stories on how she overcame some of the toughest obstacles a person can go through in life, but refused to give up hope. Rather than admit defeat, an opportunity was presented, and it involves each and every one of you. Carol will feature spectacular guests who will share their messages of hope, encouragement, and their inspiration to prove why life's adversities only make you stronger. And now, welcoming the host of the show, here's Carol Graham. Thank you, JJ. And I also want to thank my listeners from around the world. Never Ever Give Up Hope is now heard in over 70 different countries. It's the message of hope that the world wants to hear. People who have been down and out, who have possibly lost everything, who have experienced incredible circumstances that they have overcome, and they have become successful. And this is a message that we share on Never Ever Give Up Hope. You know, it doesn't matter what your ethnic background is. It doesn't matter what your financial position is or your educational background. Each and every one of us have problems and each and every one of us have to find a way to cope and to face those problems. We're human and no one is immune to that. And all of us at some point need the message of hope and that there is hope for any situation we may be going through. And so we welcome you, our listening audience, and we thank you also for your feedback, for your reviews. It's an encouragement, and it's what's been making this show successful. I've interviewed over 100 guests in this past six months, and each and every one of them has that same message. And I thank each and every one of them for sharing that with the rest of the world. With me today is Roxanne Derhodge. She is a psychotherapist, author, and keynote speaker whose expertise is in relationships, an area where we can all use more input. Roxanne is a trusted advisor on many boards and the founder of Roxanne Durhage Consulting. Roxanne previously worked with the Metro Toronto Police, assisting crime victims. She is headed an addictions unit with the Niagara Health System, and she has been involved in corporate consulting. So she's quite diverse in sharing what she's going to share with us today. She's a speci she has specialized in many areas of therapy, including managing anxiety and depression, domestic violence, and divorce. Welcome, Roxanne. Hi, Carol. How are you today? I'm good. Nice to have you here finally. We've been trying to do this for some time. I did meet Roxanne last year in Maryland, and so it's always nice to interview somebody that we've already had a face-to-face. -face. Well, Roxanne, you have 
or I have interviewed many therapists and each one of them has a personal experience or a reason why they chose therapy as a profession. And many of those reasons have stemmed from their own pain. Is this true for you as well, Roxanne? Absolutely. I think um, <clears throat> as a young child, uh, having witnessed uh, a lot of uncertainty where um, I saw violence, I started to realize that taking care of myself was something that uh, was the only option, which is, was at times kind of lonely. And I remember being in high school and, and unfortunately um, on the island that I grew up, this issue of counseling or therapy really uh, was barely existent uh, going back into the 70s. So I think at that time I recognized there was really a need to uh, be able to have a place where you could uh, speak and have someone listen. So that's where I got the idea of, of maybe when I grew up, potentially, that I might uh, want to create a space where people could uh, be able to talk openly and, and get some support. That's amazing that you saw the need for that at a young age like that. So did you ever have anyone that you could speak to? Like, was there an authority figure or somebody that, that you could share? Well, there was a school counselor, but uh, in retrospect, I don't, you know, now being a, a therapist, I realize how, you know, that person had probably had the title, but really, um, did they have skills? I, I would say not. Maybe what I was remembering was not that I was getting much support or in any way did that individual try to advocate or, or even potentially offer me any kind of plan that I can remember. And I'm talking, you know, age 13, 14. Right. Um, in a all-girls school um, on the island that I grew up. So I think um, maybe the concept of, yeah, go talk to your school counselor was one that existed, but in reality, I don't think um, what was needed uh, at that time in my, in my uh, case uh, really helped. Um, I know with teenagers, uh, it's really, as a therapist, it's oftentimes vitally important to get parents involved relatively quickly uh, but that was not something that uh, I was ever offered or um, or nor do I think that the school counselors um, had any awareness of what needed to be done. So how did you manage to get through? Just through perseverance? I think perseverance and, and uh, I think the one thing that I know of resilience and in retrospect, I think I was quite of a resilient kid. I learned that having a lot of supports around you was very, very key. So I had a lot of uh, really good friends relatively early. I dove myself into my academic work, and uh, which, you know, luckily I was inclined that way. Plus I had a lot of extracurricular activities. I think things that helped me feel better about myself. And um, also I think being surrounded by my siblings even though my parents had problems, uh, we were quite close and my family around us were also close, but not that they really could protect us in any way from the realities of what was happening with my parents. And did they eventually divorce them? Yes, they did quite, quite later on when I was an adult. Because that's one of the areas that you, that you um, do therapy in as well, Correct. Correct. Now, do you have many clients who are young, or is it mostly adults? 
Uh, I have a range of clients. I, I will deal with, uh, you know, young children sometimes, uh, adolescents, young adults, all the way up to uh, one of my clients this morning was uh, 75. So I, I, I do hit quite the span uh, of, uh, of range of ages. To uh, schools at all or... Yes, I have. I have spoken to uh, schools uh, just about uh, kind of the impact of uh, growing up in today's societies, uh, issues with uh, addictions, uh, which is one of my specialties, and also uh, with some of the pre- a lot of the pressures that the young adults are having today. So I often will speak to uh, different uh, school audiences about those different concerns. So tell me what a psychotherapist actually does. Well, a psychotherapist is someone who has strategic conversations with the coming to them. What I often think is that people assume that we just speak to them, but in fact, um, therapy is quite, uh, it's quite a craft, if that makes sense. I'm not sure to you. But what it means is that when someone comes to me uh, with a, whatever their presenting concern is, I'm looking at the hypotheses under what may be maintaining this problem. So what I'm doing is I'm consistently thinking of uh, things that I'm going to um, validate or negate by the questions that I'll be asking, keeping in mind a lot of things about the person, how old they are, their family system, uh, if there has been a traumatic uh, upbringing or not, attachment styles of their uh, primary caregivers, along with um, current stressors, past stressors, uh, other people in their lives, uh, losses. So it's a, it's a quite um, lengthy process where we are, we are assessing the individual on, on an ongoing basis and already understanding for them, you know, things like their beliefs, their assumptions, their values, um, how that's impacted by the lives they've lived and in turn, as they project forward, um, how are they seeing uh, what their life should look like, uh, could look like, or what what brings them meaning and purpose in life? And a bit at a time as we go on each each session, we try to get them closer to the end point. What, and what I mean by the end point is the goal of why they're here. Now, is there anything in particular that sets you apart as a therapist? Would you say like something unique that you do? I think I've often been told and uh, that when I, when I meet people and that I would say even as a therapist or even one-to-one that the experience that I've been given over the years uh, is that when I'm connected to someone, it's almost like, and this may sound a bit spiritual, but it's like I'm connected to their soul. Uh, so I think I have the ability or the capacity to be able to, this may sound, sound counterintuitive, but it's almost like I don't have to listen to their words, but I get the messages deep down inside of what they're trying to really purvey to me. And oftentimes I will, you know, say something to the client and they will say, you know, something as profound as where did that just come from? And I, I would say, I don't know, I've just been listening to you. Uh, but oftentimes as a therapist, uh, heightened intuition I I say with clients I really kind of get in contact at a deep level of what's important to them you have quite a diverse career I see that you you know you work with uh, the addictions unit you work with the Toronto Police Department is that connected well I think uh, the path that I took really wasn't predefined um, other than what 
where I started is I started in trauma, and it seems to be a theme um, that has kind of uh, thread throughout my career. Uh, so I think most of human beings um, have been through, I either call it the small T trauma, which is smaller things, or the big T traumas in life. And my career path has taken me from frontline with the police to working with sexual abuse, to working with addictions, um, to working with couples and families. Um, because I think really, truly, most of us are trying to make meaning and, uh, or sense of things that bring us pain in our lives. So I see, I think I see that as almost more of the theme of what my career has taken, but probably not unlike what a lot of other psychotherapists or psychologists would say. Well, I think it's like when you were sharing about how you connect with your clients. Don't you think that a lot of that is because you are empathetic? Yes, I, I truly do. But I think it's, it's deeper than that. Um, you know, I think of myself as a young therapist. I was keen and eager and very empathetic and warm. But I think uh, as you go along in your career, uh, I think a big part of the field that uh, has heightened or grown since I've been around um, graduating back in 1984 is that the somatic or the body has been a big part of, of psychology um, that has been implemented as in my in my uh, career uh, time period. Whereas way back, uh, psychology was kind of considered the you know the fluff science, and now uh, in in this day and age, there's been a marriage between or a real collaboration between neuroscience and psychology, and that's given us a lot of credibility. So I think empathy alone. Um, is is not enough. Okay. Uh, it, I think it goes a lot, lot deeper. Yes, without empathy and connection, none of us as human beings can can heal. But it takes a lot more than just empathy and connection for for healing to occur. Do you, do you work through them? You know, through their issue. Like, is it one on one? Is it online? How do you how do you work here? Your therapy well, session. I have, I have a, a, a face-to-face practice, but I also have online uh, 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 one-to-one coaching sex sessions, and I'm uh, also do group coaching sessions uh, that are related to my online course on my book. Tell us a little bit more about coaching. Well, I think coaching is different than therapy. Uh, so the coaching that I do uh, via Skype or online is just really based on what people's needs are. So whether they're uh, corporate relationships or, or personal relationships or family relationships. Uh, my The pro- concept of my book is based on analyzing all relationships in different parts of your life and deciding, you know, there's oftentimes a lot of our relationships that are quite well and there's no need to look into it. But oftentimes there's relationships that we want to enhance or potentially ones that we know are, that are quite destructive that we need to discontinue immediately. So based on the uh, online coaching, what I do is either one-to-one coaching or group coaching uh, based on uh, different types of subsets of relationships, whether it's work relationships, friendships, uh, family relationships, different types of relationships, uh, where I do uh, weekly coaching calls with people that have bought uh, my online course. So it must be exciting and very fulfilling especially when you realize that you are fulfilling a need that wasn't there, you know, that, that you did not have that opportunity to go to someone in, in, when you were younger. 
Absolutely. I think, you know, oftentimes when uh, I see people for the first time, you know, I saw someone today and I see her the second time and she's really not sure what she's needing other than she's going through a lot of loss, has lived a really relatively good life, had, you know, been through, um, you know, World War II, kind of a lot of the stressors and, you know, lots of loss at this particular age and stage of life. So sometimes it's just about people listening to themselves out loud, you know, because so much of our, what we think is unconscious and how often do most people stop to really reflect on what they're thinking. So that it's gratifying because I become a vein where I can feed back to them uh, literally um, in pockets or themes of what the things that I'm hearing um, and really try to help them sift through what they're experiencing, what their distress is about, and potentially what kind of relief they would like to see. So sometimes people don't know, and then just coming to someone like myself, it really helps them understand what they're, what they're needing uh, differently in their lives. Now, what are the areas that you cover in your book? Tell us about your book. Well, actually, the book is my book is quite a different concept. So, as a therapist, um, at the time I wrote the book, um, it was a quite a, a, a significant time in my life. I had uh, been in a long term relationship for um, twenty eight years, uh, and uh, that had ended. I'd been in a corporate, uh, uh, restructured out of a corporate situation that I'd been in for sixteen, and my son was quite young, so. At that time, lots stopped for me, and uh, I think uh, what the impetus for the book what came out of was slowing down myself. Okay. So the book is based on my life, which is you know um, a bit of a faux pas for a therapist. Uh, let's say people would say, "What are you crazy? What are you doing?" But I wanted to show people that you can be quite successful in many parts of your life, but sometimes there are maybe blinders or, or blind spots in your relationships that you may not be aware of patterns of things that you're repeating. And we, the clinical term we use is called reenactment. So the concept of the book came about because I said, you know, here I am. I've been very successful in my life. I've, I've built a, a pretty amazing life. But there were areas in my relationships that uh, were glaringly um, in need of repair. So I started to basically write about what I'd worked with for years and years. So I, I looked at my primary relationship, which is just ended. I looked at my friendships. I looked at my family relationships. Uh, I looked at my relationship to myself um, and my corporate relationships. And I analyzed it, uh, my life beginning from birth uh, to present life, almost like I was behind a closed therapy door, I was analyzing myself and being quite truthful and writing about it at the same time, giving context to the reader about my life, but at the same time, engaging them in the process where they could also analyze their own lives. Uh, not unlike what I would do with my patient behind closed doors in therapy. So you're making yourself vulnerable, but I'm sure that your readers would be very much appreciative of that because they can relate them. Is that, is that the, the purpose? Absolutely, because, you know, we are human beings, we live and we experience, and oftentimes when you see a therapist, there's definitely a, a power, power, power differential and a, sometimes a perception that, you know, our lives are perfect, 
And it's a, it's actually what I often say is I have a gift or a craft um, with a lot of education to be able to do my craft, but I'm also a human being that has been through things like everybody else. And what I was hoping to do in writing the book and showing my vulnerabilities is that even someone that has had a successful life um, can learn from things that maybe they were blindsided about, maybe the things that they ignored, uh, the things that they hope would go away all on its own. I tried to kind of, uh, you know, have the reader see that about my life and some of the areas that I, I um, tried to defer, try to put off, try to placate to those types of things. Now, is your book also a um, like a handbook as well? Does it give tips on relationship issues? There is tips in there. There is uh, everything from how I made changes in every one of my relationships. I analyze all my relationships and I rate them calling uh, between the good, the bad, and the ugly. <laughs> and I looked at all the relationships that fit different categories. And then I uh, basically show the reader what kinds of things that I did in my life to make the changes in the areas that I wanted to in the various parts of my different relationships. Okay. So that would be where they could draw from as far as your experience to help themselves. Right. And tips and and, uh, different strategies, mindfulness strategies, staying in the moment, um, you know, what part of the brain you're in when you're lost um, in the past and when you're anticipating the future, uh, what parts of the brain that you need to, to... stay centered on in order to stay conscious and present. Um, so lots of different learnings, um, strategies, tips, assessments, a lot of assessment questions, things to, to, for them to ponder and really answer for themselves so that they have uh, a really a, a broader, more concise picture of themselves uh, instead of kind of, you know, thinking about it all the time, really writing a lot so that they can really act prefrontal cortex, which is the thinking part of the brain, so that they become more aware of their, of, of their values, their assumptions, their beliefs, and, and also where, where those got started or rooted, or how their beliefs, you know, kind of uh, sits with them, and does it fit, and does it, where did it get impacted, and should it be shifted, and is it very black or white, or is it very developmental, and, and, or is it kind of gray, and are they able to recognize that sometimes we skew uh, things or views of things based on some of the things that we've been through in our lives. And would this be part and parcel to when you are consulting with addicts? Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, addicts, um, when they're, when they're still using, it becomes a bit more difficult. But that said, I should tell you that in working with a lot of trauma, addiction is kind of, you know, the go-to space to be able to cope with uh, horrific pain. So when uh, people start to get a bit clearer, whether they are, have abstained altogether, but if they can have a bit of clarity at the beginning, what I might ask of them is that, you know, they maybe don't use the day they're coming um, or try not to use the day before so they can have a bit more clarity uh, as they're trying to get off their substances. When the individual is off the substance in an inpatient facility, I actually work with a, an inpatient facility here now where I'm dir- the director of uh, clinical services. What, what we try to do is get cl- the person clear psychologically, emotionally, spiritually, biologically, and then we look at the underlying issues that perpetuate the addiction. Um, and then that becomes really, really important so that, because the addiction is in of itself is the symptom that, you know, helps the individual cope. Um, 
So then we try to kind of look at what kind of things added to the addiction, made, made the addiction develop, uh, what maintains the addiction, those types of things. But oftentimes it's, it's you know, it's uh, lots of variables, anxiety, depression, um, you know, early upbringing, attachments. It could be a combination of things that might uh, get the individual to a point where they've uh, kind of slipped across uh, the continuum into addiction. Well, it sounds like it would be very rewarding. It absolutely is. You know, there's uh, there's oftentimes nothing more gratifying than, you know, um, you know, 20 years ago, uh, you know, I remember seeing someone and, you know, you see so many people over the years yeah. that you forget, which because you, you know, but I never forget a story. So I ran into this individual and they, you know, they were shopping somewhere in a grocery store and, and then of course they remember you, but you don't remember them. And, and she was sharing with me a story, um, about all the changes that she had made in her life. And, and there's just the, the impact that the time that she had spent with me had made in her life. And I think you, you know, you, we do it, you know, when you do it full time and you, you know, I've done it since I was 21 years old, I've been in the field since then, um, it really stops you and it makes you realize how great, how really grateful um, I am to have the privilege to be able to, to have an impact in people's lives. But I, th- I think, you know, not until you hear the feedback, but the real feedback is hearing someone 20 years later uh, talking about uh, all the changes that they've made since. And it's, uh, it's quite, quite fulfilling. There's, um, you know, um, it's a hard to describe feeling when you hear, all the changes that you made in their lives and their relationships and their children and their grandchildren's lives, um, you know, something that, uh, you know, no money could uh, give you uh, or buy that feeling. Well, I think that sometimes when you do make a major change in your life, it does trigger you to want to do more too, right? Is that what you're saying? That the one change brings more change. Absolutely. And, the, you know, what happens is if... Uh, as a systems therapist or a family therapist, um, if I only see one part of the system of the family and that person makes changes, it's a, it's a, it's a ripple effect uh, to everybody in that person's life um, that they impact. So I I truly believe that uh, when you're, when you're able to help one person, you're actually, I call it concentric circles of change where it's like a it's like a ripple effect you know with a skipping stone that you make a lot of change that you you may not ever come in contact with again but you know that you've made a lot of change out there uh, with people around that person's lives are there any particular groups or type of individuals that are especially a difficult challenge for you what would be difficult i guess sometimes if someone is uh unstable psychiatrically and if they're not uh, compliant with medication and when they're not able to be of sound mind based on the uh, unaddressed psychiatric concern, that sometimes could be difficult because what you need is ultimately you need medical stability first in order to be able to kind of go on and deal with the emotional and psychological. Uh, So at times uh, that can be difficult if there's a psychiatric concern. But other than that, I think, you know, uh, most people... Even though they may be grossly addicted, already depressed, I think the average human being, all they want to feel is a bit of peace of mind. And so I think that's, uh, that's the part that 
I'm always struck by, you know, regardless of people's resources or lifestyle or backgrounds, that as human beings, we already want the same things, which is to feel good on the inside. Um, so, I, and psychiatrically, you know, when per, a person's not able to see what's in front of them, that's that can be difficult for them, obviously. But in turn, as a therapist, what you have to do is send them back off to medical to be able to get on, you know, on the proper medication or become more compliant. And of course, they then they have to make a choice unless they're harmed to themselves or society around medications. Have you had this kind of experience where teenagers may be not wanting to communicate with the adults and is that a difficult scenario or do you get involved with that at all? Oh, absolutely, we do. Um, oftentimes what happens is the parents send the, the teenager because they want us to fix the teenager. Right. And, uh, and what we find is, you know, again, as a family therapist, that it's a family problem. It's not a teenage problem oftentimes. So uh, working with teenagers oftentimes, what we do is we be, we become involved with the family uh, immediately, and oftentimes when there's a concern in the family, symptom might take place in the the teenager, but oftentimes it becomes uh, a family issue. And sometimes it's difficult for parents to hear their role because it's kind of like you know he or she's you know not being compliant, they're hormonal, you know it's all the stresses of other things. But I often say with teenagers. They're all looking to attach somewhere. If they're attached at home initially, that's good. But in learning healthy attachments, then they find uh, healthy attachments outside of the home. And that's when they're kind of trying to uh, create a life or uh, individuate from their families. And sometimes they have struggles. So what I do as a therapist is uh, understand the teenager's point of view and then kind of talk to the parents about their relationship, their uh, your couple relationship, and then in turn, kind of, we put the entire family together to really understand what it's going to take to function again. You know, if it's an addiction, uh, obviously the the young adult has to take a responsibility for it. But then we, the family, has to look at what is their role in functioning um, to maintain or decrease this problem which oftentimes can be difficult because, you know, it's it's sometimes easier to point it as, at the addict or the individual having the problem saying, you know, I, I'm not an issue. Um, so when parents have to look, you know, turn the reflective lens around on themselves, um, sometimes they're not prepared for it and sometimes it could be a difficult, a bit of a difficult ride. And what about when you are speaking as a keynote do you address just certain issues or do you, is it very broad or what are your availabilities? You know, like what areas uh, do you like to speak in? Uh, well, I have different areas that I speak um, in. I work a lot with women, uh, so different women's organizations where I, I talk on topics about, uh, um, you know, kind of not hitting the glass ceiling, uh, understanding um you know, where you came from and what you want to achieve and how not to buy into the, um, you know, the blockages of what has existed in the past. With, with uh, a lot of companies, I work with uh, communication and also mental health and addictions in the workplace and the impact on the workplace. Um, and I work with a lot with social service agencies um, around uh, self-care and how to stay healthy uh, in order to be effective leaders and helpers. So I, I do do a fair amount in different types of environments. And all this information, of course, will be on 
the show notes and your website so they can connect with you there. Absolutely. Is there Absolutely. anything that you want to say in conclusion or possibly a call to action? Well, I think what I'd like people to reflect on is that, um, you know, none of us as human beings are where we came from or that we can make changes anytime. And, you know, I think on are the days where the perception that our neural mapping is up to age six. So I, I think what I would really like your readers, your listeners to hear is that a change can be created until the day we die. So we have, we think, we feel, and we'll have bodies till the day we're no longer. Um, and that we're not going to get rid of stress, but all we can do is adapt and, and really shift things to effectively deal with things in a better way. And that's possible, um, you know, day in, day out, but it really depends on what you're willing to do to address concerns and not have stressors run you, but in fact you run the stressors to be able to effectively deal with whatever life brings you. I really like that, to not allow the stressors to run you, but you run the stressors. Absolutely. I like that. Well, I want to apologize to our listening audience that we did have some internet issues with this interview and hopefully it will still come across clear however Roxanne got her point across and that's what's important (laughs) and I sincerely appreciate that you are definitely as we said in the beginning very diversified in your career and relationships of course encompass a huge area and I appreciated the way you touched on many of those areas ranging from family issues to addictions to just relationships with oneself. So I thank you for that. Sincerely appreciate you being patient with the internet connection issues that we had and anything else you want to share in closing. No, just it's been a pleasure. And, uh, you know, if uh, ever any of your listeners are needing um, any kind of support, uh, they can reach out and I would... uh, definitely uh, try to assist or at least point them in the right direction if there ever was any need. That's important. Thank you for that, Roxanne. So you are there and available. Yes, I am. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. Did you know that most people succeed because they are determined to? Quitting was never an option. Carol loves your comments and will respond to each one. So please subscribe and review this podcast. A rating of five stars would be outstanding and appreciated. Remember, if you are still here, there is always hope.